Hello and welcome to the Music Retailers Podcast. I'm your host, Donovan Bankhead, and together you and I are going to listen to and learn from some of my favorite instrumental music retailers, manufacturers, well, anyone else that I think would be interesting. My goal is to provide a podcast where you can learn something new in every episode. Today's conversation is super interesting. Grab a pen and a notepad sit down and be prepared to take notes. Jonathan Shu from Dusty Strings and Things is presented at NAM. is presenting at, the, at Winter NAM again in 2020 uh, about group classes and lessons and the man knows this stuff and he's gonna share some of those things with you today. And this is gonna be such a great thing for you. It's, an, it's, it's a new year and it's time for a new you and a new lesson program. And this is gonna help you with that. So today we're talking about a variety of things, in-store concerts and how those can create memorable customer experiences, why putting an $8,000 guitar into a beginner's hands is a good idea, uh, how to uh, evolve and develop your group classes, uh, all these kinds of things, just some great, great topics. I'm gonna to mention now, you're gonna hear a bunch of sirens in the background occasionally. Jonathan lives a couple of blocks away from his fire station, so you will hear those, but he was safe and not injured, okay? All right, let's dive into it. So with your position now, you're, I mean, the business was started by someone else, but uh, do you, are you an employee of the store? Do you own the store? What's, what's that situation? I'm an employee. Um, okay. The business was started by Ray and Sue Moores in 1979, and they actually, Dusty Strings began um, as a maker of folk harps and hammered dulcimers. And so over the years it expanded and we had a small retail store to sell those instruments. And then around 1990, um, business was going really well, so uh, we decided to expand some more, and that uh, included carrying uh, guitars, banjos, mandolins, and also world instruments, um, things like bazookis and uh, a little bit a little bit of world percussion, um, and some you know really interesting instruments too, like balalaikas. Uh, we did carry violins for a while and the we've stayed in the same location for 40 years um which is amazing in and of yeah. itself um and so we've got this great space and a great uh community neighborhood we're in the fremont neighborhood of seattle um that it's just been a privilege to sort of evolve with over time and so um around the 2000s uh the decision was made to keep manufacturing. So throughout this whole time, you know, we kept building harps and hammer dulcimers and that was becoming its own uh, really world known brand of harps and hammer dulcimers. And so the decision was made to move manufacturing to another location. So um, we did that and then expanded our store, which had, been where we had been building those things as well into um, not just a music retail store, but also a school with classrooms and private lesson rooms. Um, okay. So the business just kept evolving and the where, where it is today is that we still manufacture harps and hammer dulcimers 
and uh, we have a, a large retail space that focuses on um, guitars, both acoustic and electric, um, as well as amps and pedals, and uh, mandolins, banjos, ukuleles, uh, and a few other, you know, kind of types of instruments you might not, might not find everywhere, like octave mandolins and bazookis, um, Native American flutes, Irish flutes. Uh, so we still have a bit of a, you know, uh, a toehold in, in the, in the, what you might describe as a more esoteric folk music world. It's not esoteric to those of us who play that music, but, right. um, but in addition to that, uh, you know, we sell a lot of more, uh, you know, the types of products that other places sell as well. Our thing is that we try to, um, sell the, the highest quality instruments at every price point um, because really what you know is behind the mission of the country the country the company is that we want to make music accessible to everyone so our our whole selection of instruments that we carry in our store is is highly curated and uh, meant to provide access to high quality musical instruments to anybody who wants to learn. And that's how the music school also kind of grew out of that. We've also been really privileged uh, to be able to work with some of the top, you know, regional, if not national and world musicians um, in, uh, in all of these genres of, of music that we support with instrumentation. So our teachers, are recording artists, they're touring musicians, um, they are Grammy Award winners, uh, they are you know, the best of the best. And we have a roster of teachers that are you know, here weekly and teach ongoing group classes and private lessons. And then we have um, names that, uh, that come in and teach workshops and give concerts um, when they're in town. So. And that's the whole other part is that, you know, we, and, and this is part of my job as the education director, is we produce three to four concerts a year, which bring all of our customers in and, and um, in the evening, sort of during special hours and, and gives them this great experience. So it's organically evolved. The whole business has organically evolved over the past 40 years. This is our 40th year anniversary. And um, the school was a, a natural evolution out of that. And it supports retail. Retail supports the school as well. Um, so my, my role, um, the school is about 10 years old. And my role, I'm the, I'm the I don't know, third or fourth education director. Um, but uh, I've been in the position for about five years now. And... Uh, you know, it, it just like every other aspect of the organization has sort of organically grown to become what it is now, which is um, we're open seven days a week. We do five, six, eight week classes um, that happen on uh, Monday through Thursdays and Saturdays and Sundays, and then private lessons throughout the week. And currently we have 35 teachers on our roster for throughout the week that doesn't include guest performers and teachers that come through town 
Um, so 35 teachers that I work with on a daily basis. And throughout the year, uh, about upwards of 400, maybe close to 600 uh, students that are taking weekly or biweekly lessons throughout the year. That's so, awesome. Yeah, That's it's, awesome. Really, it's wonderful, you know, and my favorite thing is, you know, afternoons are really busy in the school because a lot of uh, um, school students, you know, school age kids come and take lessons. And I mean, nothing gives me greater joy than walking back into the school part of the store on a, on a Thursday afternoon and, and every lesson room and every classroom is full and families are in our, you know, waiting room or our lobby of the school and their, you know, siblings are, are just splayed out on our couch watching their, you know, iPads, you know, Disney movies or whatever, while yeah. their brothers are, you know, taking a guitar lesson or their sisters taking a guitar lesson. And it, it, it's a, we strive to have a real family atmosphere. Um, and that's, you know, not only a good thing, but it's also by design because we just really believe that uh, community is, is what helps support the whole thing. So, sure. Um, so we, we we create intentionally create a welcoming and non-judgmental atmosphere, both in the store and the school. And, you know, we just figure anybody who walks through our door is there because they, they want to bring music into their life in some way, shape or form. So, right. Right. So are uh, Ray and Sue still involved in the day-to-day operations? They are, they, um, you know, they oversee the entire business. um, And, uh, so that includes manufacturing and retail and the school. And we have a repair shop as well um, for uh, guitars and um, stringed instruments. Um, but uh, yeah, so they, they, they oversee it all. And um, they're not necessarily involved in day-to-day operations of the retail store, um, but uh, they are part of the team and they come to staff meetings and, like any healthy organization, and it certainly something that I looked for when I was applying um, for jobs five years ago, you know, a, I think a really good organization, uh, the tone for that organization and, and how folks work together and how we treat customers um, starts at the top. And Ray and Sue um, have you know, they've owned the business for 40 years. They started it, but their it's their vision and their um, uh, principles that have uh, guided the company. And at the top of that list is bringing music into people's lives. Um, right. So they interface with, you know, our customers all the time as well. We host an annual, we just actually had it last week. We, we host an annual open house holiday party every year for customers where we have live music all day long and um, people can come and and sit and listen to that. It's a free open house event. And um, after all these years, Ray and Sue, mostly Sue, I think, (laughs) uh, (laughs) bakes about 2000 cookies and serve, you know, delicious holiday cookies and hot apple cider and coffee and tea all day long, uh, one day a year around the holidays. And so they are, you know, they are definitely still heavily involved in, in everything 
Um, we have a great management team that can uh, oversee the the day-to-day -day operations, um, and that includes me and my role at the, the school. So there's a, a good division of labor, um, which is required for, um, uh, you know, an, an organization like this, but absolutely, Ray and Sue are, you know, they, they are, they are right there. I mean, they're, I guess the only way to say it is they're great bosses. Yeah. <laughs> I love working for them. So. Yeah, that's great. And, well, that um, open house looks really neat. I'm, I'm on your website while we're talking. I'm kind of looking through it, and you can see, like, you've got a, a, a great poster kind of advertising mm -hmm. it and live music every hour and a half and, uh, you know, food and drinks. And, I mean, what yeah. a great way to kind of celebrate, uh, you know, that long of a legacy in business and to share it with yeah. customers and, yeah. And it looks like you have an event coming up as well, a concert mm -hmm. with a local artist. Uh, CMUSE, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so again, tell me a little... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you, well, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, the open house is a, is a tradition that goes back to the beginning of, of Dusty Strings. And likewise, with the concert that's coming up this Saturday with CMUSE, um, the folks who are in CMUSE are... are longtime friends of Dusty Strings and um, part of our, our community and uh, represent, you know, uh, uh, an aspect of the music that we're, that we've kind of become known for over the years. Uh, right. At various times, world music. Um, but that being said, you know, we also um, are, you know, represent all kinds of other types of music. So we just had John Reichman and the Jaybirds, um, Grammy award-winning bluegrass group play uh, a couple months ago. And um, Del Rey and Steve James, Marley's Ghost, Park Stickney, Maeve Gilchrist, you know, these may not be uh, names that you would see on the Billboard charts all the time, but they're the cream of the crop, you know, when it comes to um, representing uh, blues and Americana and uh, roots music, ethnic music, all these various things that um, that we're known for. Right, mm -hmm. and for this concert coming up, like the CMUSE concert, this is mm -hmm. you know this is something that you you charge admission for. I see mm -hmm. the tickets are twenty bucks, mm -hmm. and I mean so like you're this li likely the production of this is you know this is a concert production right i mean it is yeah describe what the settings like what's the venue like where the concert takes place and all that kind of yeah stuff. well it's really exciting i i love um being being able to produce these concerts um which again is something i i inherited in my job but um <clears throat> i have a background in theater so it's it's like right up my alley um basically the concerts take place in the store but after hours and um we have a large enough sales floor that we remove most of the product that's in the middle of the sales floor and we can fit up to 100 people in that space so we bring out um you know cushy chairs and uh <clears throat> and we can fit 100 people in there we, we dim the lights and we have a stage and we have stage lights and we have a pro audio set up and several staff members who have a background in audio and are, are um, qualified to run sound. And so that's why we charge admission too is, you know, it's essentially it's like going to a concert venue. Right. And, uh, 
you know, we open the doors at seven, the show starts at 7.30 and um, it's general seating, but if people buy tickets, they bring their tickets in advance. And um, I usually get up there and make some corny speech about how we all need to turn off our cell phones and lean in and listen to the music and have a non-tech experience for the night. And um, it, it's, uh, they really do turn into these magical, uh, memorable experiences. So again, you know, it's not something that as a retail music store we have to do. And uh, for other retail music stores, it may, you know, it may not even be feasible for them to do yet, but it's been part of our model of doing business because it's, you know, in large part, it's a promotional opportunity for the store. Sometimes people, you know, they, their favorite band is coming through Seattle. They see that it's happening at Dusty Strings. They buy a ticket and they come and it's the first time they're ever in our store. Right. Um, so that's a huge promotional opportunity. And at the same time, being able to present the artists that are out there playing the music that we uh, support through selling the instruments that people play this music on. Sure. Um, is uh i think it it adds a lot of authenticity and um uh i don't know well you're also you're creating an experience in your store and people are connecting with you know uh favorite artists maybe new favorite artists and other musicians and all those warm fuzzy feelings are happening in your business and i mean man you just and I'm guessing that there's probably some kind of revenue share or this, that this is a profitable activity for you, the concert in and of itself. Is that correct? Yes and no. I mean, in, I think any concert promoter will tell you that, you know, you're doing great if you're breaking even. <laughs> um, right. But at the same time, yeah. And, and this is a, a value that I have um, as well as, is, you know, and for as long as we've been doing concerts, part of the goal has been to support these artists and, and give musical artists a venue um, and opportunities to be heard and make more fans. Um, and I'm a big believer in uh, artists' worth and value. And so often the arts are just undervalued in this country and, um, and in this industry. So, you know, part of you know, the reason of of charging tickets is that we need to pay them and to perform. And uh, there's a, the agreement between the artists and us too is is pretty fair um, in terms of, um, you know, what, what we're getting out of it. Again, it's also a huge promotional um, opportunity for us. So um, even if we don't break even um, ticket sales wise, we've still, gained a lot because we've just had another opportunity to interact with our customers and make new customers and friends. Um, but it, it, in a way, you know, even though it's a business in a way, it's also, it's also supporting the arts and giving artists the opportunity to, to get out there and perform. We don't take any cut of their merchandise sales. So they, you know, we give them a, uh, an area to sell, you know, their CDs and t-shirts. And in one case, you know, a, a band member makes this like award-winning jam uh, jelly or, and, and she sells that, you know, when they, when oh, they awesome. and it's a, I mean, I bought some, it's incredible, you know? So, you know, we allow them to do that as well. Um, and we don't take any cut from that. 
So, uh, you know, our, our artists are, are pros, obviously, and they're used to making a, a certain amount uh, when they're performing. But, um, you know, we, we just want to support that as well and, and make it a, a good experience for them. Right. Yeah. Well, and getting some percentage of the tickets, even if it is breaking mm -hmm. even, it, it helps you to mm -hmm. continue to do more of this because it's not, yeah. you know, so much of a financial investment. You're able to essentially get your money back so you can right. continue to do these types of events. And, and exactly. yeah, I love that. Exactly. And then in addition to the lessons and everything else, I mean, you also have, I mean, you guys are serious in the guitar business and mm -hmm. you've got, you know, a few of the uh, kind of the, the big name brands, sort of mm -hmm. the Hallmark brands, but you also mm -hmm. have like a, a large amount of some of the more boutique and, and mm -hmm. custom small builder brands as well. Mm -hmm. And probably all that really ties into your general kind of ethos of, you know, mm -hmm. yes, of course we have, Martin and Taylor and some of those mm -hmm. kind of iconic brands, but we also mm -hmm. have products that are handmade by individual craftsmen that bear their name and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I think that that comes from the fact that we started as a manufacturing business. Um, and I mean, our the email address for manufacturing is handcrafted at dustystrings.com. Um, and that idea in the people who started this company, many of whom are still in it, um, the idea of, of building something and handcrafting it and, but making it the finest quality, um, extends all the way through our, our, the product lines that we carry. Yeah. Um, and you know, Taylor and Martin are great examples of, you know, probably two of the most famous names in the acoustic world, um, at least, uh, for acoustic guitars, but they also represent, uh, hand craftsmanship. Um, and innovation. Martin going all the way back to the 1800s and uh, giving us, among many other things, you know, the dreadnought um, shape of a guitar. Sure. Taylor with uh, Andy Powers and D-Class bracing that innovation uh, is huge. And obviously, and, you know, but he's in there in his shop at, at Taylor and El Cerrito handcrafting, you know, these V-Class guitars. Um, yeah initially so so there's a huge value in in that that extends through our lines callings guitars is the other big line that we carry and we had a, a close relationship with bill callings and um, the staff at callings so we were you know really sad when he passed away but we you know maintained that relationship and are really happy to see callings evolve in into its next chapter Collings represents some of the finest, you know, uh, mus uh, musical instrument building um, uh, that, that you could possibly want in a guitar. Um, these three brands also kind of work together. We sell, you know, they, it's kind of interesting to think about, you know, but I think any retailer understands this, you know, it's like the brands all sell themselves and they sell each other. So it's, it's possible to be a dealer for um, multiple brands because uh, you can get into really deep conversations with customers about, you know, what's the difference in callings in a market in a Martin, you know, why does this guitar cost $2,000 more, you know, well, um, because of this level of craftsmanship. We yeah. also have boutique guitars that are really small businesses like, you know, Goodall and um, uh, Ohm Banjos and Weber. Um, 
<clears throat> and uh, so those, you know, we want to support those um, smaller businesses too because of the level of, of craftsmanship. And um, people do come in, they know our, because of our reputation, they know that they're looking for their banjo that they're going to have for life. You know, we're going to be able to, you know, hook them up with that. Um, yep. We now carry uh, a lot of vintage and used instruments as well. And so we get some really cool pieces that come in. On any given day, we'll have a Martin Parlor guitar from the 1890s um, that's very playable and, and ready to, you know, play uh, once you buy it. And uh, to um, pre-war, you know, Martin D18s and D28s um, and uh, electrics as well. Uh, we've gotten some amazing Les Pauls and um, uh, Fenders and uh, uh, other other Gibson models um, on our in our consignment um, in in vintage and used section of electrics. So. Again, it's about quality. Yeah. And then just one other boutique brand that we carry is Nash Guitars, um, which uh, is a Washington uh, company. And, uh, you know, he takes these uh, Telecasters and Stratocaster designs and everything and, and builds them. Uh, and they are sort of meant to look like they are vintage and have been worn and used throughout the years, but they are really high quality instruments in some cases better than maybe a, a 40 year old Telecaster, yeah. um, you know, uh, because vintage instruments can, can be great, but they can also be, uh, um, cantankerous. <laughs> so, um, anyway, yeah. so, yeah, so that, exactly. yeah, that handcrafted idea and quality, uh, it extends through all of our lines, even the most affordable, um, instruments that we carry, um, because beginners, we believe that beginners, you know, should also experience quality. And we're not afraid to put an $8,000 um, good old guitar into a beginner's hands because, you know, you may not buy spring for that that day as somebody who's just wanting to get started on guitar, but you should know what it feels like. You know, it's, it, it doesn't have to be this thing that's out of reach. Um, and uh, we'll we'll get you started, you know, one way or another <laughs> on yeah. learning your instrument. So, so tell me what that conversation's like. You know, someone comes in and they're a newer novice guitar player. Yeah. How because you know how how is it that you put you know a really expensive guitar in their hands without them feeling like you know they're being oversold? Sure. Well, um, we are really fortunate right now because we get a lot of beginners that come through the doors and you know one of our guiding philosophies when it comes to sales is that we don't really when it when a customer walks through the door we, we don't look at them with like dollar signs over their heads you know it's a person and every person that comes through the door we drop what we're doing and say hi how are you how can we help you and get them involved in a, in a conversation. And the story that I hear at least a couple times a week is, you know, Oh, I've never played an instrument before. And 
you know, I'm, I'm kind of afraid of, of doing it, but I just have this dream, you know, I just want to learn how to play guitar. And um, so there's a lot of, uh, there's, a, there's, there's definitely some insecurity and there's a lot of um, demystifying that we, that we do um, with customers like that. And those are, you know, quite honestly, some of our favorite customers because <laughs> it's like, it's like, we're introducing music to them, you know? Yeah. So we'll bring them into the showroom and just start, you know, with a conversation about like, well, what drew you to guitar? Do you have a, do you have a, you know, personal experience, you know, in your life that, or, you know, what, what, what is it about guitar that, that made you want decide to, to try and, and learn that instrument? And oftentimes it's, you know, well, my grandfather passed away and, and he was a guitar player and kind of want to do this to honor him. Or, you know, I just have always from a young age um, been fascinated, you know, by um, rock stars and just wanted to play guitar, but I just never got around to it. Everybody's got a, a musical story, you know, it, we, we all have these. And so that's the first part is just kind of drawing that out and, um, and getting them to share and talk and just listen to them, you know, without interrupting them with, okay, well, you should try this guitar. You should try this guitar. And, you know, I can make a deal with you on this one. It's like those conversations come a little bit later. Um, and so we'll sit them down and we'll say, well, you know, based on what you're talking about, you, you know, I think you should see how this guitar feels in your hands. And oftentimes, I, I don't work on the sales floor all that much, but when I am, uh, I'll just grab a guitar off the wall and hand it to them. And then it's like they've been given this gift. You know, it's like somebody's given them permission to finally right. do what they wanted to do. And sometimes that's all it takes. And they play it and they go, yeah, okay. They start to learn. And I'll even teach them some chords, you know, on the sales floor so that they can get a feel for it. And then maybe they'll say, well, you know, this, this guitar feels a little bit big. I have small hands and it's hard to reach these chords and, you know, okay, well, you know, let's try this one on for size and we might whittle it down to a couple of guitars. Um, at which point, you know, we've got a sound booth um, and sometimes we use a private lesson studios too to, if they really are getting serious and they, they want some, privacy to, to experiment with these guitars, you know, we'll set them up with two or three guitars and I'll tell them, listen, do an AB test. I taught you those, that chord, you know, so play that G chord um, four or five times on this guitar then put it down and pick up this other one and play the same chord four or five times and just listen to the differences in sounds and, and how you respond to the guitar. Because at the end of the day, it's another thing we really believe. Um, you know, you should go into it with the mentality that that uh, money is no object. You know, what you're looking for is the guitar that's right for you. Right. And uh, I, I love Yo-Yo Ma said this once, and it always stuck with me. Give me a box and a rubber band, and I can find its voice. And so <laughs> the guitar that you know some of us who have been playing for a very long time would look at and go, I would never play that guitar, you know, because we know all this stuff um, might be the perfect guitar for somebody because it just sings to them and they feel good with it. And, you know, in every instrument that we sell, we, we, um, you know, uh, 
quality assess it before it goes out onto the floor a purchaser uh, unpacks every guitar himself and makes sure that they're in tune and set up correctly so we know that whatever instrument we end up selling them whether it's used consigned or brand new is gonna is ready for them to play and it's going to give them a good playing experience um, so that's kind of the the flow you know of a beginner walking through walking into the store and then we settle in on on what they want to learn and equip them with that and then where the school has been a really good um, selling tool is um, we have our class listings and private lessons right at the front register and people see those and you know inevitably we sign them up for our beginning guitar one class that starts in a couple of weeks um, yeah so full service operation so people know that they can come down here and this can be their musical playground for as long as they want it to be um and they buy accessories and they get their guitars repaired and it's you know it's a community yeah. at springfield music we started using Merchant Cost Consulting earlier this year. These guys are former banking and credit card reps who go and negotiate your processing rates on your behalf. Now, like most of you, we're pretty aggressive about shopping our processing rate around, so I wasn't sure they'd be able to save us much money. But boy, was I wrong. On average, they're saving us about 600 bucks a month. The deal is we split it 50-50 with them for so many months, and after that, all the savings are ours to keep. Plus, they keep an eye on your fees during this time to make sure those freaking credit card processors don't find a way to jack up your rate again. They're good folks, and they do what they say they do. Actually, in our case, they underpromised and over-delivered. They estimated about 500 bucks a month in savings, and it's been closer to 600. When you contact Patrick at Merchant Cost Consulting, tell him that Donovan Bankhead sent you. This does two things. One, they will pay me a slight referral commission. But more importantly, two, you'll get 10% off of your first month's bill if you choose to go with them after their free analysis. Listen, I wouldn't recommend it to you if it wasn't worth it, It'll only take a few minutes of your time. They handle the rest. Contact Patrick McClellan. His email is patrick at merchantcostconsulting.com. P-A-T-R-I-C-K at merchantcostconsulting.com. I'll even give you a cell phone number, 508-733-7622. And remember, tell them that Donovan sent you. So this is a perfect, you know, shifting point here. Let's yeah. shift over to lessons, which is kind of mm -hmm. really your your wheelhouse and the thing mm -hmm. you're responsible for. And, you know, for me, I I really became aware of you through Nam and the session you did in Nam, and you really emphasized uh, not mm -hmm. just lessons, which is a common topic, but you guys seem to have a real core strength in group lessons. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I wanted to ask you about regarding group lessons is. You know, who, who do you feel is sort of your target market? What, what type of student might do better in a group setting versus, you know, a private one-on-one -on -one setting? Mm. Well, first I would say that our, you know, our target market is anybody who wants to learn music. And music can be a, a shared experience between two people and it can also be a shared experience in a group. Um, there are... In, in the world of education, there's different learning styles and abilities and um, proclivities. And so some people just thrive with really focused individual one-on-one -on -one attention. Other people need the stimulation of a group um, and uh, thrive in 
in a group atmosphere, or they may feel safer in a group atmosphere because they feel a little bit more anonymous, as it were, and they can kind of sit back and, and take it in on that level. And all of those are valid ways of learning. So in the spirit of bringing music into people's lives, you know, we want to provide as many learning uh, opportunities as possible for the ways in which people learn. The guiding philosophy of the school in terms of private lessons and group classes is that we are, it's, it's all discovery-based learning. And the teachers, we are guides. We're tour guides, we're, you know, hosts um, in, in, in traversing this landscape of music, which really, you know, is there, it has no beginning and it has no end. And that's one myth that a lot of beginner students have is like, oh, I have to, if I'm gonna learn how to play music, I have to start from square one and learn how to read music. And I need to know how to play every scale and every key in every mode um, before I can call myself a musician. Well, no, you know, I mean, Appalachian old time banjo players, you know, there's no standardization in, in um, tuning even. Um, and you don't need to know how to read music to play. Uh, I start with chords in my beginning guitar class because that's what you want to do. You want to be able to play, you know, Take It Easy by the Eagles or, um, you know, an Elvis Presley song or something. So, you know, we just break it down and make it easy. The group classes um, really evolved with uh, some of the teachers that have been in our school long before I even uh, became the education director and they really spearheaded it um, again as a means of, of community and um, bringing folks together and um, just uh, not only teaching them a dusty strings, but getting them involved in some of the other organizations in the Pacific Northwest, like Puget Sound Guitar Workshop and uh, Rainy Song Camp and um, uh, avenues for, for you know, meeting friends and, and creating community around um, instruments like guitar and ukulele or genres like bluegrass and, and old time. Um, so they sort of spearheaded that and perfected, you know, teaching ukulele to a group of anywhere from four or five to 25 students at a time. And it's amazing what our ukulele teachers can do um, because, you know, you sign up for a ukulele class and once everybody's ukuleles are in tune, which can take a while, <laughs> Yeah. Um, by the end of the first hour, everybody's playing a simple tune. And that's music making right there. So the folks that sign up for group classes, they want, they're either interested in a sort of uh, primer of the instrument to see if that's something that will stick with them and they want to continue. Um, and it's also a very affordable and low level of commitment way of doing that. Um, and then they'll go into private lessons after that, or they're seeking community and um, an opportunity to learn something, but also make new friends or bring their partners with them. Um, in some cases, you know, we've had, uh, mostly our group classes are for adults, but we've had mothers and sons, you know, uh, fathers and daughters as well, sign up together to do something fun together. Um, and then we do have students that, you know, do a combination. We have students that take private lessons from multiple teachers 
um, take private lessons and group classes um, and workshops from visiting artists. So it's, you know, I, I think of the school like a coral reef. There's always something to explore, always some area to go swim over to and, and hang out at for a while. And then there's something else um, to explore as well. Uh, the diversity in is the biggest asset to the school, the diversity in our students, the diversity in the music, the diversity in learning styles, um, and the fact that we're just here to enable students to play music. We're not here to be strict, you know, upholders of some sort of tradition um, or, uh, you know, um, uh, rubric of, of what it means to really truly be a musician. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the neat things about like if, if people go to your site at dustystreams.com, they can see this. But like there is a lot of content uh, in these um, uh, workshops and clinics mm -hmm. that, that complement, you know, anything else that someone is, may be studying. So, you know, mm -hmm. someone may be studying guitar or something like that. And uh, maybe they have an interest in mandolin or songwriting mm -hmm. or, or voice or something like that. And they can jump in one of these group classes mm -hmm. and kind of dip their toes in the water. And you've got different levels from you know, mm -hmm. beginning to intermediate. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and it seems like such, such a great way for someone to sort of, you know, broaden their horizons of their instrument mm -hmm. and, and exposure to music. Yeah. And, you know, that's... We have a lot of students that do that. They sort of have a primary instrument that they've been working on for a while, like guitar, and then they'll pick up mandolin and start playing that. And what I tell students all the time is, you know, one informs the other. Um, guitar is my primary instrument, but last year I, I just decided I kind of wanted to learn how to play drums, not because I wanted to become a drummer and a gigging drumming musician, um, but because I just was interested in it. And after a few weeks of practicing drums, I noticed that my own internal rhythm when I played guitar had really improved and dialed in. Um, oh, I bet. More than it ever had before. So um, the teachers encourage their students to take classes from other teachers, to take workshops. You know, you might be um, studying sort of just general uh, folk styles of playing guitar and then someone like Chris, Lu Chris Luquette will come in and do a bluegrass guitar workshop like he did last week and you know we'll encourage that student you've got to sign up for Chris's class because you may not want to become a bluegrass guitar player but what you learn in that class is going to improve the style of playing that you are interested in or that you are doing and yeah. then it's even better if they go and they go oh my god I want to be a bluegrass guitar player you know so yeah. Um, one thing informs the other, and that's, that's the vibe we really try and create. They're, the teachers are, you know, they're all independent contractors, and so they all, they're all their own business, essentially, but it's not an overly competitive atmosphere. We all know each other. We have quarterly teacher meetings. We share and email with each other all the time and develop things together, and so it's not uncommon for one teacher to tell their student, you know, um, next week, take a lesson with this teacher and then come back and we'll talk about what that experience was like and what you learned from them. So teachers share students all the time and, and students have learned that, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's not, I'm not betraying my teacher by signing up for this other class or 
you know, working with this other teacher for a while. Right. Um, and, and that just supports the whole thing because our teachers really get, you know, in large part because they were the ones that, you know, were so instrumental in creating the school over 10 years ago, but they get that it is, you know, uh, when, when the student benefits, you know, everybody benefits. Um, and they see not just those teachers, but Dusty Strings as, um, as a safe place to come and learn. Right. I love in your NAM talk, you said something that I really, that just stuck with me. And you said, remember that anyone who inquires about group lessons is ready. Don't mm -hmm. let them equivocate, sign them up now. Yeah. That is like, that's so great, you know, because I think yeah. sometimes we can be too passive with mm -hmm. uh, with this. And of course, we don't want it. We're not trying to be pushy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that, that person who, you know, they've come in and expressed that interest in learning an instrument. They just need someone to push mm -hmm. them off the cliff. You know, they, yeah. just, they just need that shove totally. to get them going. And we know we're, you know, we're, we're, we're getting them hooked on something right. that's going to make right. their life so much better and give it yeah. so much more meaning and give them so many more yeah. connections. And yeah. uh, so sometimes they just, they need that little push. They need that push. And, you know, I remember when I first started in retail, um, in my early 20s, it was actually um, uh, not in the music industry, uh, was selling home furnishings and things like that. But I, you know, my first retail days, I, I, I would be on the sales floor and a customer would come in and I would feel intimidated by them. And I would just be like, in my internal thoughts would be like, oh man, I just, I, I don't want to come across as too pushy and like I'm trying to sell them something. And, you know, I don't want to be that that smarmy salesperson. Right. What I learned over time is that they came in for a reason, you know, like you go into a store, you know, either intending to spend money or window shop with the intent of possibly coming back. So the most important thing that you can provide for a customer is an, again, like you said, um, is an experience. And so, you know, obviously we want, people to spend money in our store because we're a business. But, um, you know, at the very least, if you walk out and you haven't purchased anything, we want you to walk out feeling really good about our store so that you'll come back. You've had a great experience in the store. Maybe you've learned something. You've, you know, you've gotten to know us personally by name. And um, those customers do come back. Um, but chances are, you know, when somebody walks in, you know, and then asks about lessons or asks about a guitar, you know, yeah, they're there because they've, you know, maybe haven't said it out loud, but they've made the choice already uh, to come in and, and, and do the thing. Yeah. Um, as a, you know, uh, an acting teacher told me once, you know, I came to him one day, I was like, I'm not sure why I'm here. And he goes, well, something brought you here. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, something did bring me here. You know, <laughs> maybe I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but here I am. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's not buying a house or, or, or buying a car. It's, it's playing music. It's buying a yeah. musical instrument. And that just brings joy to people's lives. Yeah, so. exactly. So any suggestions on people if they want to, you know, curate and begin uh, the, the programming process for starting their own group mm -hmm. lessons 
what suggestions would you have? Because you, you've got quite a few different types of classes and many, many of them are, are sort of the standards, you know, uh, mm-hmm. beginning guitar. And, but you also have a lot of things that I think fit into sort of your store's kind of ethos. So mm-hmm. what suggestions would you have for a store that wants to begin group lessons uh, mm-hmm. in terms of finding, you know, what, what topic, what area should they cover? Yeah, so that's a great question. It's actually a, a great um, setup, too, because I'm going to be giving a talk at NAM this January, <laughs> um, Thursday, Thursday afternoon of, of, of NAM about um, uh, the, uh, I think the title that we settled on is uh, how to hire rock star teachers for your lesson program. And that's really where it starts. Um, you know, when you're building a lesson program, uh, from the ground up, or, or maybe you have an existing one and, and you're, uh, you're a business owner and you're wondering, you know, is this doing anything for me? Should I keep going with it? You know, the, where it starts is with the people. And um, when you hire a great, we, we don't call them instructors in our school. And that's, a, that's an industry term. Lessons are often you know, interchangeable, the word lessons is interchangeable with the word classes, teachers are considered instructors. And we don't use those terms. um, Because to me and to us, you know, what a music teacher is, is they really, they are a teacher. They're they're not there to um, tell you what to do. They're there to listen to what you want to do and then show you how to get there. And that's what a teacher does. And then more importantly than that, we refer to our teachers as teaching artists because they're all practicing musicians as well. And teaching is, this is the topic of my, what my talk will be on, but teaching and their artistry as musicians are all part of one thing. Um, I've met, you know, young musicians who, uh, you know, are looking for other revenue streams and they say, well, I was thinking I'll teach and, I'll just ask them right out. Do you like teaching? Have you taught before? <laughs> because you have to want to do it. And it, yeah. being a, 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 you know, a lesson teacher at a music store, um, really it, it comes with a lot of responsibility and it comes with a lot of vision that's necessary and um, to, to do something, you know, meaningful with it. Otherwise, as the teacher instructor, you're just going to get bored and it's going to fizzle out. So if you're a business owner and you want to start a lesson program um, or you want to grow an existing one, you need to first take a look at who your teachers are and, and what they're bringing to the table and what they could potentially bring to the table. Um, most musicians that are working musicians play more than one instrument. And so when I, when our program started growing and I needed more teachers, but couldn't hire more, um, I went to our existing teachers and at a meeting, I just said, who plays another instrument? And all the guitar teachers said, well, you know, I can play ukulele. And I said, great. How do you feel about teaching ukulele lessons? Cause I need more ukulele teachers. And half of them said, yeah, yeah, I could teach ukulele. And, um, these are, these, oh, sorry, that was my computer. I don't know if you heard that. But, oh, no, um, I didn't. You're fine. Oh, good. Um, you know, they, they perked up and they said, well, yeah, this is a great opportunity because, you know, I have played ukulele before, performed on it. I'm actually kind of interested in learning more about ukulele. So 
as a teacher, you're learning from the student, you know, just as much. Um, so, so look at, you know, who you have as, as teachers in your program or, or look for certain qualities in teachers. See what else they can offer besides the instrument that they're known for. Can they teach, comfortably teach another instrument? Do they, you know, have experience organizing recitals? And most teachers do because that's something they want to provide for their students as a performing opportunity. So then you can collaborate with that teacher to organize the recital to be in your store, which means that on a certain day, you know, things are going to be a little bit different on your floor, your retail floor, but you're going to have a huge influx of people, some people who don't even know that you exist yet. And that's a whole crowd of potential new customers. So teachers can be collaborators with you and um, you can create symbiosis um, between your school and your store. We like to think of the store um, uh, supporting the school and the school supporting the store. The store is our major revenue stream, you know, in the business on the retail side. But, and, and so the school doesn't, you know, necessarily bring in as much money as the store. However, um, we do bring in a lot of sales in the store and, um, you know, it, it in some ways functions as a promotional mechanism for the store. So there's a symbiosis. Our teachers recommend the products we carry. In some cases, they've suggested that we carry certain products and helped us to curate those selections. Um, you know, they uh, obviously don't, you know, tell students to go buy their guitar from somewhere else or, right. uh, you know, online or whatever, you know, because we want to keep it in house. But um, they're part of the, the store experience as well. A lot of students come to Dusty Strings looking for lessons. They don't come looking for that teacher uh, per se. Right. And they become a fan of that teacher and, you know, that teacher's gigging and recording and touring. And, and again, it just puts the student and the teacher, artist, musician, uh, it connects them together. So it's a win-win all the way around. Um, so you got to start with really good teachers and they have to be people that have experience teaching and have knowledge of different learning styles and the ability to cater to those. Um, you know, not every teacher is gonna be willing to teach kids and teaching kids really requires some specific skill sets. Um, <clears throat> so as well as, you know, any age group, uh, when you're, when I started teaching adults for the first time after having taught kids for many years, that was, I had to recalibrate to that and learn how to teach, you know, people that were my age and older. Um, and then the same thing with, you know, if you're delivering a program to uh, the elderly, um, you know, that's a, that's a specific skill set too. You got to know as the teacher, you know, what folks are going to respond to and what they're not and what their abilities are and what their abilities aren't. We have a couple of teachers that, um, you know, because we're, our, our school is open to anyone. So we have a couple of teachers who not only have um, autistic students, but they personally have experience um, teaching uh, um, students on the autism spectrum um, in public schools, for example. Um, 
uh, or in other aspects of their lives. So, you know, every teacher's got specialties and find out what those are from the teacher that you're looking to hire. They should share in the values that you have in your organization. Um, they should uh, be go-getters and teaching artists are people that wear many, many hats all the time. So they do have strength. They have strengths other than the instrument that they play. Right. Um, you want to look for qualities in a teacher. Um, you know, the same way that you look for certain qualities in individuals you're looking to hire as an employee on the retail staff. Um, you, you know, you want to know what are the qualities you're looking for in a guitar teacher. One size does not fit all. And by the same token, there are musicians that are really, really good musicians that are terrible, terrible teachers. It's, right. it's, it's not, you know, it's not one and the same. And then vice versa, there are people who are mediocre musicians, but they're really, really good teachers. And you don't have to be um, the world's greatest musician to be able to teach music. Right. Uh, you know, in fact, you know, the best musicians who, who are the world's greatest musicians would probably tell you that they're not. <laughs> right. So um, what you need is somebody who can intuit and um, uh, guide and help the student, you know, discover their goals. And that takes a special person. Um, that's not always going to be, you know, the, the person who just graduated from college with a degree in, in classical guitar. Um, could be that person, but most likely it's going to be somebody with years of experience um, teaching already, maybe in public schools and colleges and universities, um, and uh, also just years and years of experience and knowledge playing. Yeah, I think it's, and then I'll, you know, uh, I'll, I'll wind down this, this topic because I know I can talk a lot, but <laughs> Um, the other thing that we really value uh, is letting our teachers be musicians. So teaching at Dusty Strings, you know, there's a commitment to it, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to stop performing. In fact, I encourage um, our teachers to go on tour for six weeks. You booked a, a national tour, do it. That doesn't mean you have to stop teaching here, you know. Right. You'll just, we'll just work together to find another teacher while you're gone for that student or we'll work it out. But it looks good on us and on you. And it's, you know, exciting for the student to know that their teacher is a real bona fide musician that is out there doing what musicians do, as opposed to somebody who sort of falls into teaching music because, you know, they, they didn't they feel like they didn't get the opportunities they deserved, you know, right. um, teachers have to be enthusiastic and they have to be inspiring and it has to be part of who they are as people. And as in the same way that being a musician is part of who they are as a person. Right. Yeah. So that's what you want to look for. Well, and you also mentioned that your teachers kind of, they share ideas and share resources. Mm -hmm. Give me some examples of that. Sure. Um, so we have quarterly teacher meetings and um, part of those meetings are just to check in as a group and, you know, um, 
give folks the opportunity to see each other if they haven't in a while and generally kind of, you know, check in on how's the school doing, you know, what's the outlook, what, how did we do last year? And, and then, you know, we usually have some broader discussion topics that, you know, I, I kind of view as vision planning. Um, you know, this year we, we want to amp up marketing. So what's the message that we want to send out? Um, to folks and teachers will chime in and they'll say, well, you know, I really think we need to hit this neighborhood in Seattle because, you know, they don't have a, um, a lesson program over there and it's close enough. Maybe they can come over here or, you know, uh, we really need to make more uh, online videos um, and ramp up the website. Um, we had a big web website redesign just in the past year and a large part of that was because the teachers said, you know, we, we want to, you know, how is the school being represented on, on the website and online? And um, so they, you know, they, they actually kind of helped in that and made suggestions uh, towards that goal. So the way we collaborate with each other is, um, uh, is through the quarterly teacher meetings and checking in and then coming up with broad ideas, you know, for the future, some of which may happen or not happen, doesn't matter. Dreaming together is, is, uh, is something that, that really surfaces where everybody is at in terms of their thinking um, about the place. So that's one way. Um, we also uh, co-teach sometimes. Um, we've uh, had teachers uh, teach a, uh, you know, classes together. Um, and, um, this year, um, I worked with a teacher who has a, um, really strong background in music programs in public schools. And we were able to work together to create uh, an after school music program at an elementary school nearby where she goes there um, after school to teach a ukulele class once a week to a small group of students. And that wouldn't have happened had um, uh, the school reached out to us and, and then that teacher being willing to kind of take on the mantle of making that happen. Right. Um, Cause you know, I mean, as a director of a program like this, I'm, I'm everywhere all the time and you know, my life is really busy. So sometimes people come up with these great ideas. I'm like, I really want to do that, but you know, there's only so much time in the day. So that that's been a really great example of how like she and I have collaborated together to make something happen. And then last summer we launched our first ever um, summer program for kids uh, for school age and um, adolescent kids. And so a group of us came together, teachers who were interested in, in teaching um, summer camps, essentially, for uh, young people around music. Uh, and, and they had been, they've been the guiding, you know, uh, force for me, um, because I just kind of came to them and I just said, we need to have a summer program. Here's kind of what I'm thinking generally you know, what's it going to be like for you when you're teaching it? What kind of experience do you want to have in something like this as a teacher? And then they bring all of their experience to it. Um, and so we launched, we did sort of a pilot program last summer and it was a success. And now we're going to do a much bigger one this coming summer. And um, those teachers, in addition to collaborating with me on it, they, you know, uh, they had to be 
they they know each other too, but they're emailing each other throughout the week, swapping songs in and out for the performance, um, you know, and talking about, okay, you know, we know that we want to get these skills across, but now we have this particular group of kids that are with us and they all have their certain strengths and weaknesses. So how do we cater what we wanted to do to this individual group of kids? Um, right. And that's one of the big things that teachers have to always be skilled at is you never know who's going to show up in your class. So you may have to throw out your lesson plan, you know, at a, on a moment's notice, turn on a dime and still be able to deliver. So they've, you know, basically the teachers have collaborated on, on our summer program, which is called the Young Musicians Workshop. And they're going to be, you know, taking that and developing that further next summer. Um, <clears throat> and, and I'll be involved in that. And then uh, another, you know, thing that, that has, is a good example of that collaboration is this biannual um, harp uh, symposium that we do. Uh, where we fly in uh, harp players from around the world and they teach workshops and give concerts all weekend for about 80 to 100 participants. And that's called Harp Seattle. Um, and it's only every, every two years because it's such a big event. But um, all of the performers in that, they also teach all around the world, all throughout the year and give workshops and seminars and clinics. Um, and so when we come together to do Harp Seattle, the teachers or presenters that we've assembled for that one, they collaborate and work together over the course of that weekend to deliver, you know, an experience for the, um, the participants in that. It's so easy, you know, once you really set it up. We recently put a bookshelf in the lobby that just has all music related books and teachers started bringing in, um, you know, books from their collection that they wanted to get rid of. And these aren't, you know, these aren't just like old, you know, magazines from the seventies or something. You know, these are, some of these books are like really academic and, right. but it's really cool because it invites conversation among students in the lobby and it invites conversations among the teachers and they really get to know each other and know things about each other um, and sharing those resources, you know, a teacher might walk into the lobby and, you know, I've got this one student who's really interested in this and that, and another teacher will be standing there like, I just put a book in here, right about that very topic here, here you go, you know, yeah. uh, or they'll share, share, you know, sheet music together and, you know, songs, uh, one of the other guitar teachers, um, who's been teaching beginning guitar classes, uh, for, you know, since, since before I got here, um, you know, when I started teaching beginning guitar classes, he's been a mentor to me in a lot of ways. We'll go have coffee and, and talk about learning styles and how to approach this thing or that thing with a particular student. So, yeah. um, it's, a again, everybody's an independent contractor in the school, but, um, you know, it, it feels like, uh, a true place of, of collaboration just walk through the halls and, you know, smile and have conversations with teachers and they do with each other too, which is wonderful to see. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, and then finally about lessons, uh, let's, mm -hmm. let's talk a little about the physical environment and, and this, mm. the spaces and what you're teaching. Tell me kind of how you've uh, arranged those, designed those, 
yeah. uh, to make them a, a really good learning environment for students, both young and old. Well, this is really important um, if you're setting up a lesson program. Uh, Winston Churchill said that we shape our environment and our environment shapes us. And I, I really believe it's true. And by environment, I'm talking about our surroundings. Um, and, you know, you when you're learning music, you, you want to be in a place that's conducive to learning. So it shouldn't be an environment that's easy to fall asleep in. <laughs> but it right. should also, it should, it shouldn't also be an environment where there's um, too much kinetic energy all the time. Or, it, you know, so by the same token, it, it should also be a calm and welcoming environment that's free of, that doesn't have the feeling of a judgmental atmosphere. Um, because that is going to, that's going to just, you know, do away with any kind of learning. If, if students feel like they're judged um, by being there, they're not going to come back. So, <clears throat> but at the same time, you want to disrupt things a little bit because that's what learning is about. Um, and so, you know, I'm sort of known for saying in the school that I just want it to sound like Tin Pan Alley all the time. And, <laughs> you know, and, and we joke about it, but some teachers, you know, they, they have had or have had a problem with that because they want to get in there and students want to get in there and have total silence to work on their instrument and not get distracted by anything. Well, there's times when you can do that in our school. And I also think that um, it's important when you're learning a musical instrument to know as a student that you're never, ever going to be in an environment of total silence to play your instrument without being interrupted. That's not what, you know, that's just not life. It's not, uh, and it's certainly not the life of a musician. Um, right. We, we have to navigate sound all the time as musicians, and we have to learn to tune our instruments in, uh, you know, in a club where everybody's talking and other instruments are tuning up. Um, we have to get used to being around other people who are playing different styles of music. So when I say I've, I think the place should sound like Tin Pan Alley, it just brings me joy when I walk through the halls and I hear a banjo lesson in one room, an accordion lesson in another, uh, a Balron lesson in another room, piano, you know, upright bass. It's like, it's, it's wonderful. Like we, we seek to embrace that in our school. And it also is inspiring. Um, you know, you walk down and you see through the, the doors, which are all glass windows, um, it's, which is another important thing I'll, I'll mention in a second. But, you know, you get to see all these different people playing all these different instruments. And that, in a way, is a disruption to the student of, um, of, of you know, adjusting their perception of, I came here to learn guitar. Oh, what's that? It's a stand-up bass. You know, right. I didn't know that, you know, or I forgot about that. So the environment, you know, needs to be, the atmosphere needs to be calm and welcoming and non-judgmental. It also needs to be a learning environment. And so um, if you're, you know, we, we were really lucky enough to be able to redesign our school a couple years ago. And part of that redesign <clears throat> was using the architecture and, um, 
materials that we had to create a space that was atypical. So we knew we had to have a hallway, but you know, we opened up part of the hallway and angled the wall out. So now we have this lobby that is this funky triangular shape, but it's unexpected. And that immediately puts you in a different headspace when you come into that. It's also, you know, there's a, a beautiful uh, old shop window that we put in there in, in a, a reception desk that, you know, is was chosen and thoughtful and in all of these things again it all extends back to the way we were founded with the handcrafted you know idea of everything um we we intentionally created this space we chose colors for the walls that um uh inspire learning um and also you know try it, we want to keep the school colorful but not too busy at the same time with with tons of of artwork on the walls you know that 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 can be visually um overwhelming uh each lesson room you know has a window on the door it's basically a a, a window door and that's important for a couple reasons um one of is which is is safety and students need to feel safe, parents need to feel safe. And so when there's windows on the doors, that sends a message that there's transparency in the school, that your child is not gonna be alone in a small room with an adult, you know? Um, right. and, and, and vice versa, the teacher feels safe because you know, they're not gonna be alone in a room <laughs> with, with a child. And, and you know, there's no, there's no uh, mysteries or, or opportunities for, um, misunderstandings and things like that. So that's one of the key reasons of, of having a window door. The other is that you can look in and watch people learning. So it becomes a sales tool when you're giving somebody a, a tour of the, of the school and they, they can actually picture themselves and see what the lesson is going to be like. Um, which is often, you know, what inhibits students from starting out is you just have a fear because they don't know. Sure. Um, so uh, we keep the lights on in all the lesson rooms all day long, whether they're being used or not. Um, if there is time available, you know, we'll, we'll allow a student to use a lesson room to, to warm up or practice in there. Um, but for the most part, the only people who are ever in the school are teachers or students, and that's, that's by design. So it, it becomes their space. The students feel like when they're there, this is, this is my space. I'm, I'm allowed to be me here, and um, I'm not going to be uh, judged for, my, you know, for, for being in my 60s and learning how to play guitar for the first time. Or Right you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so the environment, both the physical and, you know, um, environment, how, how furniture is arranged, um, what's on the walls and, and, and the colors and everything plays a huge role in the, um, the, the way that we feel about ourselves when we're in that environment. Um, to contrast it, you know, I don't think many of us would want to be playing guitar in a concrete room, you know, without right. any decorations on it or something like that. Um, so it comes down to intention and 
just like you would on the retail floor, you need to put thought into your, how you showcase certain instruments and where you place, you know, groups of instruments in the store so that, again, it creates an experience for people. Um, and it's the physical environment and it's also the, um, the psychological environment, if you will. And right. again, it happens when they walk through the front door of the store, we stop what we're doing, we acknowledge them, we say hi, and we invite them into our world and, you know, let them feel like it's their world um, and get them comfortable in it and dispense with, with anything that suggests we, you know, we, we try very hard to do this, that, that dispenses with anything that suggests that we are, um, you know, judging them or somehow, you know, more knowledgeable than than them or, or, or what have you. I think we've all had that experience when we walked into a guitar shop and nobody says hi to us. And then we ask a question and the answer we get makes us feel stupid. Right. You know? I mean, that, there's no faster way to kill sales than that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So the environment. Well, yeah. Folks can, uh, you know, if they Google dusty strings uh, there, you've got a ton of, beautiful pictures uh, tied through kind of your Google page that uh, can walk you through a lot of what the store looks like. I'm just kind of clicking through them right now. Yeah. And uh, it's a, it's a really warm and inviting space. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's really, 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 it's neat that you can, if, mm -hmm. yeah, for those who happen to click, you can, when you click on it, you'll see who added the picture and the date. And so I can cool. see that recently you kind of redid the area where you have sort of like a little stage and, yeah. And uh, it's just really beautifully done. So, yeah, yeah. A lot of intention, you know, goes into it. And there was never any grand, you know, overarching vision for what the place should look like. One of the things right. I love about Dusty Strings is that it's, you know, a living representation of all the people that have worked there and come through the store at various times. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, a cohesiveness to all of it and there's an aesthetic you might even call it an aesthetic but um you know it's it, it it comes from everybody who's who's been part of the whole thing um all along for the past 40 years and it's also um you know gonna be around for a long time because of that and uh we're really really fortunate and and feel very grateful for that yeah that's great so um, let's let me ask you I, I, uh -huh. these next couple of questions I always ask uh, yeah. because I love the answers that I get to them. But tell me about a negative situation that you experienced that ultimately had a positive or profound mm -hmm. effect on you or your business, but mm -hmm. you would not want to repeat it again. Wow, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, You know, as any business owner or manager knows, um, <clears throat> sometimes you have people that um, that come and go and, in your business, employees um, and teachers and, um, and what have you. And sometimes they're just not a match. They're just not a fit. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, 
not not just here, but in in previous occupation or previous jobs and stuff, you know, I've had that experience too. Um, I think when those things happen, um, it it ultimately makes if it's done right, it makes things better for both people, both parties involved. And one thing that I've I've learned, um, and I can't you know necessarily think of a specific experience, but there have been. Uh, is that when you go through that process of, of finding out that, you know, it's not a good match, the attitude, and this is Dusty Strings' mentality too, is that no harm, no foul. It's just not a, you know, it's just not working. Right. Um, and that's okay. It's okay that it's not working. So the times when I've, I've had to go through that process with somebody, um, it, you know, it's not a process I, I, enjoy or ever want to do but you know if you can come out of it you know with that mentality um of 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 it's okay it's just not a match um then you're you know you're essentially coming back to neutral with that person and this could this could be an employee it could be a teacher it could also be a student um and i've had experiences with students you know like that where we just get going on lessons and you know their agenda is different than my agenda we just can't seem to come to an understanding or or neutrality on anything and so uh, you have to be the one to sort of facilitate ending that you know that student uh teacher um the 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 fact that you're doing lessons together or right you know in, in worse cases um uh people that you're doing business with. So um, it is, uh, it's a tough process, but it's in the end, if you can go through it with that mentality, it's a good process because it reaffirms, you know, or shows you who you are as an individual, what your values are. um, And hopefully, you know, it does for the other person as well. And then you can meet again as equals and right. move, move forward from there. And, and in the best cases too, and this has happened also of, you know, going through a, you might call it a storming process um, in organizational development, talking about norming, storming, and forming. And the storming process is, is, is always, you know, that's where people's true colors shine and sometimes it's not pretty and that's okay. Um, because, sometimes you find out that, oh, you know, I, I had, I misunderstood you. I didn't, you know, you, I didn't think that you were this type of person, but now I get who you are. Right. And now I can work with you. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I've, I've had experiences, um, you know, with students at Dusty Strings um, and colleagues where, um, you know, they're ultimately they're really good experiences because even in the moment when it felt like it was too hard and um, uncomfortable, when you make a breakthrough, it makes everything better and uh, clearer. And that's progress. I think too often we avoid being uncomfortable with our colleagues, with our, um, the people we manage and, and the people we teach. Um, and that students are shy away from being uncomfortable, but 
the best learning and growth happens when you are a bit uncomfortable and right. your, your, um, your values and your, your personal rules for yourself and, and your, you know, who you are is challenged a little bit. Um, right. That's actually really healthy. And, um, you know, I, I would say that that's also a, uh, a cultural and a societal, you know, thing that, um, uh, we just tend to shy away from. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's like, no, it's, it's, you know, let's get into an argument. It's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it makes things better. So. We can have a discussion and, and even disagree without being disagreeable. Right. I mean, exactly. Like, yeah. We, we can handle this thing. We can be mature and responsible about it and talk about things when yeah. we disagree. Exactly. And, and I guess that's kind of what I'm, I'm ultimately trying to say is that, um, in my career and in my experiences, the times when I've, you know, had a negative experience, but, you know, due to the people involved was able to come out of it, understanding somebody better. Um, it, it, that's where the most growth and learning, you know, came from for me right. or that other person. And, and that's special. That's intangible. Yeah, it is. Okay. Now, and finally, if you could send mm -hmm. a message to yourself 10 years ago, mm -hmm. what would you tell the younger you? Don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you know, throw the playbook out the door and just uh, take what comes your way and work with it. Um, work with what's in front of you and take more risks. And, um, you know, I mean, when we're young, I'm, I'm 37, I just turned 37 and I started my career um, really when I was 17 or 18. Um, but, you know, as a young per, as a young person in my 20s working, getting into real work in the real world, um, I always sort of had a script for myself. You know, this is my life plan and this is my arc and this is what I'm going to do and uh, resisted anything that uh, may may uh, throw that off. And, um, you know, what, what ended up happening, you know, is that this job came along and, um, you know, I, I, I got hired in retail at Dusty Strings. Um, it really, because I just needed part-time work and I loved the place and I knew the people and I thought, well, this will be fine, but you know, I'll just be here for a little while. Um, and what ended up happening is that the position I'm in now opened up and um, because of, of the organization and who, you know, what Dusty Strings is, um, I was able to kind of craft the position for myself. And I had the support of 35, 40 teachers, um, staff, you know, uh, Ray and Sue, the owners who we talked about. Um, and it, it became a confluence of, of, all these types of things that I've always wanted to do. Um, so, you know, I get to be a, a gigging musician. I get to teach. I get to wear my administrative hat and um, uh, I get to produce concerts and be creative and be an artist, but also make a living at it. And that's no small thing. Um, right. And also, you know, to anybody who would say, well, you just lucked out. It's like, no, I've, I've worked really hard to get to this point too. You right. Know? It's, it's a little bit of both, but the point is, is that it is possible. And over the years, what I've learned is that the more I resist, 
um, opportunities, the less possible things become. And so we should, you know, if I could tell my, my younger self 10 years ago, you know, to do anything, I would just say resist less, you know, just be open more to possibilities. And, you know, you never know what's, what's going to happen. It's like, uh, um, Jimmy Cricket and Pinocchio, I think, you know, said something like, uh, uh, you know, out of the blue, uh, you, you know, the star comes through to see you through or something like that. You know, it's, there is, there is something that's just like, when you really need something and you really want something, you know, if you're open to it, things will transpire to give it to you in, in that, in, in a way that works for you. That's best for you. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's great. And then uh, finally, what do you want to tell yourself 10 years in the future? 10 years in the future, um, probably the same thing. Don't resist, be open, <laughs> throw the playbook out. Um, <laughs> and, you know, also don't forget, you know, the struggle all along. And, um, but that, you know, it, it, hopefully, you know, it, also be teaching in 10 years too. And that it's on some level anyway, but that, you know, as teachers, we, we don't always know that what we say can, in an offhanded way can have a really big impact on a student. So being mindful of that um, is something I would want to remind myself of years from now. Um, and also stay true to yourself, stay true to your vision of, of of creating experiences for people. That's what it always comes down to for me, whether it's my education hat, my musician hat, my administrative hat, my um, theater hat, you know, all the things that I do and have been involved with throughout my life. You know, the core of it is I just want to create great experiences for people. Yeah. Um, and so I, 10 years from now, hopefully I will still be doing that. And if, you know, if I am, I'll say, good job, Jonathan, keep going, you know, keep learning, keep improving. And if I'm not doing that in 10 years, I would say, you know, get up, man, get off, stop doing what you're doing and stop resisting everything and get out there and get back to what you wanted to do, which is to create experience. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. If you'd like help with your business, check out musicretailconsulting.com for articles, resources, and coaching and consulting services. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast so you're aware of future updates and rate and review while you're at it. Thanks for listening.